everyone. Welcome to The Wisp. Today we're going to be talking about the lunar eclipse that occurs on November 19th, 2021. It is in Scorpio and Taurus. So the moon will be in Taurus at 26 degrees or 27 degrees and the sun will be in Scorpio at 27 degrees. Uh, this lunar eclipse occurs when the nodes are still in Sagittarius and Gemini, but uh, eclipses just occur when the sun and the moon are close enough to the nodes in order for you to get the visual of one of them blocking the other out. So sometimes they occur across two different signs, like right now. Uh, the reason this can happen is because the nodes get very close to leaving the sign that they're currently in, or they just entered the sign that they're currently in. In our case, the nodes in just a few months, in early January, are going to leave Gemini and Sagittarius and enter the fixed signs of Scorpio and Taurus. So we're going to have a big shift in the nodes um, in a few months. Uh, when that shift occurs, the nodes will stay in those signs for 18 months. Uh, they will have been in uh, Gemini and Sagittarius for 18 months as well. Uh, one important thing to keep in mind, and the reason I'm mentioning this, is this eclipse occurring on that axis acts as a kind of prelude for the messages and energies that we're going to be dealing with when the nodes eventually switch signs. So with the nodes, they kind of act as a gateway uh, regarding the lessons that the collective kind of is dealing with and uh, the lessons that get reflected into the collective. Um, and so you can see a lot of things connecting back to the nodes in transit. Um, we'll talk about Gemini and Sagittarius with that a little bit. But... Essentially, the nodes, because they are the nodes of the moon, they deal with reception and reflection. But the main thing is that while these lessons will be reflected, uh, our job is to find ways to emotionally respond and integrate the emotions that we feel with these nodes um, in order to work on our current conditioning. So it's like an emotional reconditioning with the nodes. So keep that in mind as we talk about a lot of peak emotions that are going to be coming up during this time with this lunar eclipse, uh, because the emotional response is the response that's kind of required by the node. One thing to also note is uh, a really important concept with the nodes is the nodal rulers. So that's just the uh, planet that rules the sign that the nodes are in. These last 18 months that has been uh, Jupiter because of the south node being in Sagittarius and Mercury because of the north node being in Gemini. And so the relationship, the phasal relationship, the transits between uh, Jupiter and Mercury, as well as like their own individual stations, their ingresses, those have been particularly significant in the context of what is happening with the nodes and how the nodes are being more specifically interacted with by us. Now, the reason I bring this up is because when the nodes move into Scorpio and Taurus, the nodal rulers will also change. And using uh, traditional rulers, um, the nodes for the next three years, so as the nodes move through Scorpio and through Taurus and then through Aries and Libra, which will be the next set of signs, uh, that'll take three years. And for the next three years, the nodes will always be ruled by Venus and Mars with traditional rulers. With uh, modern rulers, as the, the nodes move into Scorpio and Taurus. The south node will be ruled by Pluto, but I use both rulers, so it'll be Pluto and Mars. Um, so, Pluto, so Pluto is going to be super important the next 18 months. It's already been super important, but particularly so. It's going to be anchoring that south node. But more specifically, Mars and Venus are going to be of very particular interest for the next three years. 
And so the Mars-Venus cycle is already something that is quite important to pay attention to, uh, even when you're just thinking about how Mars and Venus are acting independently uh, through the rest of, until their next conjunction. But like, for example, the last uh, Venus-Mars conjunction occurred in Leo, and that was just, that was a few months ago, but we're still dealing with the remnants of that energy. But in the context of the nodes, when they change signs, those, uh, landmarks of when Venus and Mars conjunct and what sign they conjunct in and what conditions they're in are going to be of even more importance regarding this kind of evolution and this changing of how we feel these nodes. What I would do is I would just get a general understanding of what Venus and Mars function as. I would get a very in-depth understanding of what they're doing in your chart. Um, even if you have a basic understanding, which I do think that they get brushed over very quickly because they're like, there's significations for them that uh, are very like, understandable and easily digestible but I think that people can kind of just gloss over them so I would just really spend time with them in your chart um if even regardless of kind of what you think that your understanding of them is you could probably go deeper um they have planetary nodes just like the moon does they you know there's Venus star points there's all kinds of different things you could look into you could look into the phasal relationship of them in your chart and the phasal relationship of them to Pluto so there's always more work that can be done with them I would also pay special, special attention to what they're doing in transit and to their consistent phasal relationship and to when the conjunctions occur, because when those conjunctions occur is going to be influencing how we're feeling the nodes at the time. So I want to talk about kind of the shift in the nodes from Gemini Sagittarius to Taurus Scorpio, uh, because I think that that shift and that contrast will give a very clear idea of the difference between the two, the difference between those signs regarding the nodes, but also kind of the transition between them, because we're feeling the transition between them right now. We're experiencing this prelude uh, leading us into the nodes being in Taurus and Scorpio. And I want to preface this by saying, like, I'm going to be talking about heavy emotions. I'm going to be talking and referencing trauma, but I'm not going to be, like, talking about anything triggering. Uh, but just to give a heads up, like, I'm not a trauma specialist. I'm just talking them about them because like I can relate to the astrology of this through that and I think that a lot of people can because we're kind of experiencing a lot of collective trauma right now. Um, we've always been experiencing a lot of collective trauma in recent times. There's been massive periods of grief and loss and struggle and injustice for many many groups like as many groups as you can imagine on earth and individual people as you can imagine on earth but um the reason that i bring this up is because we have the south node in sagittarius and i think as these notes have been in Sagittarius and Gemini, um, we've all been confronted with this very collective experience of a loss of control and of loss and of grief and of trauma through um, the COVID pandemic. Uh, I think that that has been a very universally inescapable and like consistent experience not that everybody's had the same exact experience but everyone is being kind of forced to deal with it and so I think we as a society have just been feeling a lot of the fallout of that and have been really grappling with that and the way that you can see that through the Sagittarius south node um and this is other factors contributing to it as well but this is just one example um is people 
constructing having no people having no idea like what reality is and like what the new normal is and like how things are going to progress further like what people just don't feel like they have a tangible grasp on anything like times are very confusing and there's no sense of normalcy there's been this collective kind of loss of reality and the way that people have kind of coped with that is through embracing their own individual realities and so you see so many people having so many different understandings and beliefs of what is going on and like what their values are and like what reality is and it's a very confusing time because it feels like yes we've been connected through this difficult experience but like nobody seems to have a connected perspective this is very confusing and so this kind of Sagittarius end is everyone has is like exploring these different belief systems for themselves, but they become very ignorant to actual logic, to actual diversity of information, to actual diversity of opinion. Um, and because they're dealing with negative and scary emotions, that fear and that stress is very difficult to confront. So they use their opinions and their beliefs as a kind of safety blanket. Um, and they can't really question that safety blanket because it would force them to question the fear that they are trying to suppress a bit, which is a natural response. I'm not judging that. But you can kind of see how that's playing out. And people become very rooted and enforcing uh, about their opinions and about their beliefs and about their individual perspective. And it's like... There is a loss of the Gemini North Node, which is like an embrace of diversity in perspective and the diversity of the truth and the conflict and the confrontations and the change that that brings with it. And so with the Gemini and Sagittarius nodes, when we look at this in the context of very difficult emotions or of trauma, uh, we can see how anyone in their life uh, has likely experienced something traumatic. Uh, and one of the kind of ways that that is often dealt with is that initial trauma or that initial difficult thing is compartmentalized. And then we kind of start to just ascend and like dissociate and disconnect from it and like do the Sagittarius and the Gemini thing of just like rapidly running around everywhere, like going up to higher, more abstract concepts to avoid dealing with it, like running away as far as we can from whatever the actual Actual matter is. Um, there also can then be this uh, intellectualization and this rationalization of our emotions. Um, and again, in the context, I think that people understand is like when you go to therapy, uh, one of the things that like I think that is dealt with sometimes is like people constantly rationalize their emotions and like try to logically deal with them and you're like oh well this this is I feel this way and this is it's I feel this way because blah 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 and you're like treating your emotions like they are a science experiment um and that is kind of the Gemini Sagittarius initial response to uh these difficult things that are going on is this floating around and this abstract reasoning and this intellectualization of difficult things that just we can't confront the heaviness of it because Gemini and Sagittarius are these outgoing active signs, right? So now let's move into Scorpio and Taurus. This is where this energy kind of comes more in in our metaphor. Uh, eventually this difficult thing that you've suppressed it's going to resurface in your life like it comes back up uh eventually you can't just like not deal with it any longer 
Um, and this could be like any scale of emotion, but like eventually any emotion you suppress, any fear you suppress, like it does come back up. And so then you kind of reach this crisis point and Taurus deals, or not Taurus, Scorpio deals a lot with like high, like, um, with peak emotional experiences and with periods of crisis and loss and endings uh, and like this crashing down and then needing to find a way to recharge. And so you reach this crisis point where these fears just kind of obsessively permeate every like facet of your experience and there's no more escaping the fear and they just become completely all consuming of everything that you experience. And there's no way of hiding it and they become completely distorted because it's just the only thing in your vision for a while so this kind of peak experience and this fear which is kind of represented through scorpio a bit um eventually leads you to go to therapy or to receive help or whatever it is and that begins like your kind of process of transforming and taking power back and overcoming fear which is kind of um and regaining security and safety and understanding which is kind of the scorpio taurus axis and so when you go to therapy or when you receive help or whatever it is, what the person helping you will do or your, what yourself will do to kind of solve this problem is you reground and you recenter yourself and you have to reconfront and reimmerse yourself in the emotions that initially led to this experience, into the fears that initially led to this experience. Um, and then Scorpio deals a lot with just breaking boundaries, like going deeper and deeper and deeper, and the tension and the energy that is released in doing so, and just cutting deeper and deeper through the surface. Um, as you continue to do this on an emotional level, eventually kind of the last step in healing a lot of this and in reintegrating it and being able to uh, move on in a place that allows you to get like real rest and real healing is you have to find where this fear is located in your body and you have to reconnect with your body after kind of disassociating from it for so long and like this is one of the most difficult things you can do when you're dealing with these emotions is getting back into your body and that is what the Taurus end of these nodes deals with is like where do we generally like Taurus is like where do you feel safe and secure where do you have value and provide value like what are your resources how do you feel contained and independent and in control of your own safety but particularly it has quite the association with your body and with feeling and so the like this question of like where do we hold stress and pain and trauma in our body comes up when you consider Taurus and particularly on the Taurus Scorpio axis because when you're dealing with these oppositions you're trying to find where each of the signs can integrate pieces of each other in um, and the connection I see between the two of them is really this like exposure therapy and then this healing of the pain and the wounds that uh these emotions have created and carved out in your body and so anybody that like does yoga or like has had this kind of um holistic approach to emotion or to whatever healing or whatever it is um i'm sure is aware of like so much of your lower body holds these fears and these tension and these really difficult like darker emotional experiences and through like connecting to that part of your body like for example like your hips your hip flexors um through connecting to that and healing that and really working through the discomfort of that you actually end up releasing a lot of emotions that are built up there 
And so this is kind of what I see with the Taurus Scorpio axis is this coming back down into our bodies, uh, particularly with like the moon in Taurus on the lunar eclipse, really coming back down into our bodies. And so the nodes moving into uh, Scorpio and Taurus are going to have like a ton of energies going on. Like this is just one part of that puzzle, but this kind of energy of dissension to me is key to this lunar eclipse. Now, I want to talk about Sedna uh, because I think Sedna kind of highlights this perfectly on a spiritual level because um, obviously like, I'm pretty focused on the emotional level uh, like we just talked about, but uh, there's also quite the spiritual significance to this. Uh, and Sedna deals with like the highly, highly, highly spiritual. So there's not much of like a mundane piece of information that you're going to get out of this for yourself, but uh, you might feel this triggered on a spiritual level regarding sedna um so this lunar eclipse is conjunct sedna the moon will be conjunct sedna about one degree off actually the um aquarius full moon the second aquarius full moon earlier in the year it squared sedna and so this might like resurface energies that kind of came unjostled spiritually for you then uh and it might be a chance to kind of reharmonize with those and find a way to give them space and containment and identify them uh so you know, things might come back up from around um that was in august uh things spiritually might be coming back up from around august for you but sedna uh, I want to talk about the myth because it highlights this coming back into your body so perfectly. So Sedna, the myth, is a Alaskan, particularly Alaskan uh, myth of a sea goddess. Uh, there's a lot of different versions of Sedna, but she's like one of the major goddesses in that area. Uh, she's kind of implicitly referred to in many, 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 many different stories. So she's very important, but... I want to just give a quick brief rundown of the similarities in her myths. There's so many versions we could go really in depth, but the key things for this transit. Sedna is a young woman that lives in a village. Um, for whatever, there's a few different, there's so much variation in this myth. But let's just go with the story that she gets married. Um, and her father, her family agrees like, okay, yeah, yeah, go get married. Because um, it's just the way, that's what you do. And so she goes and gets married and... She lives on this secluded island with her husband, uh, who she finds out to, this is just one version, who she finds out to be like a bird man. Uh, and he's basically been lying and hiding his identity and he reveals himself to be a bird. And it's quite the like scary event because uh, she's just stranded on this island, like completely isolated from her family with this bird man. And so her father, because she hasn't come home in ages, goes to check on her and he like realizes like what the situation is and he tries to rescue her. This is one version. <laughs> There's also a version where like her father is very violent and like kills her. But um, in this version, <laughs> he goes to rescue her. Um, the father isn't super important with this transit. It's not what I'm highlighting. Um. But so they're running away and they're being like pursued by this flock of birds, uh, magpies uh, in one version. And in order to kind of like appease this chaos, he has to um, sacrifice Sedna. So essentially what I want to highlight is that Sedna is a story of sacrifice. Uh, so, you know, 
it's sacrificed either way. In some versions, it keeps killing her, like, maliciously. In some versions, it's, like, the necessary thing that has to happen. Either way, it is a story of sacrifice. And so she's hanging off of the boat in the deep, deep of the ocean. They've, like, gone out really deep into sea. She's hanging on by her fingertips to this boat. And in all versions of the myth, her father chops her fingers off with, like, an axe. Um, And when he does this obviously she drowns but from her the tips of her fingers that he cut off uh seals form and as she sinks to the bottom of the ocean she turns into this sea goddess and she is responsible for providing the arctic ocean with seals and with uh wildlife that people in the area will then use as sustenance so she fills this role kind of of like a harvest goddess um those are the important things she's kind of like this harvest goddess this goddess of life somehow she's also considered um to be like a goddess of the like underworld which is considered in the bottom of the arctic ocean uh and it's a story of sacrifice now, the important thing that I want to point out with that in regards to this kind of dissension and uh, embodiment energy is that in a lot of myths, uh, particularly like religious myths, there is this energy of when people die or are sacrificed for some sort of like holy or divine cause, they ascend. So they leave their bodies and they leave the physical world and they go to a separate world of like heaven or hell or whatever it is. They like leave and go somewhere else, somewhere assumed to be like higher and more spiritual the thing with sedna is she literally sinks to the bottom of the ocean and this experience was like a horrifying like a terrifying experience um and basically like one of the archetypes is referenced with her is that she keeps her heart open in hell so like even when she's sunk to the bottom of the ocean it's not as if she's left her body like it's not as if she's disconnected and dissociated and like is ascending somewhere higher it's like she has to still be in her own body like dealing with this experience of dying but in this experience of dying and in this experience of loss and sacrifice and fear she keeps her heart open and that is like a main thing and as she keeps her heart open from her body all of these resources are born and this magic is born and she stays herself and she stays in the bottom of the ocean in this grounded place and that is like where her magic and her divinity stems from it's not some sort of ascension it's actually a descension and embodiment and it focuses so much on her physical body and so that is like this spiritual taurus energy of this and you have the taurus moon conjuncting her in this eclipse so that is like a very important on the more high spiritual end energy the other thing with the conjunction to sedna is that sedna and taurus um especially like when we have uranus and taurus is really highlighting this energy of us having kind of betrayed uh the natural abundance of the world the ways that we have kind of taken advantage of nature and that we've completely like degraded it and desecrated it and taken it for granted and neglected it and are basically just like killing nature like i mean it sounds really like sad and <laughs> depressing but that's just the truth of the matter like we have really stolen and killed a lot of nature and it's its own abundance and that has to do with Taurus and that has a lot to do um with this Sedna has a lot to do with the spiritual implications of that like what are the spiritual 
and really higher collective consequences for doing that. Um, so anything that kind of came up in those areas around the Aquarius, second Aquarius full moon, uh, things like that might be resurfacing, but more in a scorpionic and taurus way um like we've talked about and we'll continue to talk about um but this might be more of a potential for alignment and for reintegration and acknowledgement of those things rather than just tension caused by those things and again these things are going to be difficult to identify like not on a personal level but um we can expect these themes of nature and of re-embodiment to, and dissension to be very important. Uh, I think this goes, this is going to be a thing with the nodes as well, I think, as they move into Taurus Scorpio, but this uh, conflict between like everybody who wants to just ascend <laughs> and like disconnect from their bodies and kind of like this process of spiritual bypassing versus um, a focus on healing the physical bodies and the reconnection to the natural world. Um, you see kind of these two different uh, schools of thought pop up, particularly in spirituality. Uh, I think that's going to be quite the focus. Um, obviously, I think this Taurus uh, lunar eclipse is calling us to reconnect and to come down and to really heal what we're doing with our bodies. And that could be you taking a bath like that could be you laying in bed like um but the thing is none of it is easy like just laying down in bed is not this healing and this reconnection to your body it is not this like sensual honoring experience you really have to deal with difficult difficult things in order to um continue to burst through those boundaries and to heal yourself um but it's simple things that's the thing with taurus is it's simple things taurus desires simplicity and serenity but that does not mean it's basic or easy to achieve the simplicity is one of the most difficult things to achieve and you have to connect back to your body and what your body wants and needs in order to find what simplicity means for you so now let's talk about some of the specific aspects that are going on during this eclipse besides just the um scorpio taurus axis like we already spoke about a bit in the nodes i guess the first thing to note uh is that Obviously, like we said, the lunar side of this eclipse is ruled by Venus, and Venus is going to be a really big player just for the nodes in general next year. Uh, but Venus is making a lot of very crucial, important transits coming up very soon. She just entered her shadow period. Um, what that means essentially is she's at the point where she's going to retrograde back to when she reaches her retrograde at around 25 degrees of Capricorn later in the month. Um, so this will the point be the point that she goes direct again. Uh, that means that she's slowing down a ton in speed. So she's moving much slower than she normally does, making her energy pretty concentrated and uh, pretty particularly in Capricorn, emphasizing the hard work, long, drawn out, potentially heavy, but uh, intense and purposeful work that is done uh, with placements there. So Venus is also out of bounds. Um, out of bounds, it has to do with the declination of the planet. So when it reaches above or below a certain declination, and that's astronomical, um, you can look into it. Uh, visual might help you understand that better. But as, uh, when she reaches above or below a certain declination, she's kind of out of control uh, in terms of the sun overseeing that planet um, so it can happen with a lot of planets uh, it's happening with venus right now um, so venus 
it is not the same as a retrograde, but um, the general significations are somewhat similar in that she, Venus will be performing in a way that is not necessarily societally governed as much uh, in terms of the solar energy associating with kind of the expectation that uh, authority and society and like the head of energy has of Venus. So it will be a bit like Uranian, a bit, you know, out of the norm with which of which is expected. Uh, similar to how you would deal with a retrograde planet, but not the same. Uh, I may provide some resources on that in my Discord server, uh, just because it's not something that I use a ton outside of just being aware of. But keep that in mind. Uh, with this out-of-bound Venus, really like symbolically what I'm getting, especially because she's in her shadow period and she's so slow, uh, I get this kind of image of like stepping out the door, stepping out of your home, and trudging through very slowly in this like dark snowstorm. That's kind of the energy I get with Venus. And I don't necessarily mean that in like a negative sense, but in a sense of like we are somewhere where it hasn't been illuminated before. We're moving very slowly, but very purposely and with a lot of hard work through this place. Um, particularly, that's kind of an image with similar energy to what I've been associating with these uh, third quarter squares that we're experiencing a lot. Because remember that third quarter square is that crisis in consciousness. So it's like the beliefs and ideals that I thought that I held throughout the rest of the cycle have suddenly like come crumbling down around me and it's like how do I move forward and what beliefs do I move forward like and keep myself rooted to uh now in the future for the rest of the cycle so it's a kind of similar energy to that that I get with it um, another reason I mentioned that third quarter square is that Venus right now is in a third quarter square to Chiron, to Chiron and Aries. Now, it was already exact earlier, uh, but it is still important and it's still highlighted during this lunar eclipse. Now, I, the reason I started with Venus first is this square to Chiron. Chiron is that emotional antenna, that increased sensitivity, uh, that real and I say emotional tenor because it's this real sensitivity to all of these pains and all of these wounds both both internally and um as a reflection of like perceived judgment or perceived isolation or alienation that we're feeling that is kind of like the Chiron energy and I've talked about Chiron a lot I have a lot of writing written on it for particular in Aries but Chiron and Aries is like the sensitivity on how we have freedom and independence as an individual and how other people judge our righteousness or like our justness and our actions um, and it creates kind of the cycle of hyper independence or feeling completely trapped either way like a lot of it is very much like this lion stuck in a cage type of thing thing um and a lot of this emotional sensitivity around this lack of perceived lack of freedom is connected to not being connected to our instinctual intentions um and so that has been something that's been highlighted throughout the year every time we make aspects to chiron which is in pretty much all of the lunations we've had major aspects to chiron um and particularly libra season we had a lot of oppositions so this kind of ongoing theme it's been going for a while and chiron is at the point where it's like moving the slowest in the zodiac so it is something that is emphasized for a long time but venus squaring that is now all of our values which is a venus function all of our feelings because emotions are the moon but feelings very much have to do with venus all of our feelings all of our values all of our processes of relating are going through this crisis in consciousness regarding these wounds regarding trauma regarding these deep sensitivities around independence and around energy resource and so we're going to be questioning our values when we're um, 
exposed to these pains, when we're exposed to these triggers, essentially, Chiron acts as a catalyst. So when we're exposed to these painful things in the world of Chiron, it is going to be catalyzing a process through which we're transforming the beliefs that we attach ourselves to. Well, not really the beliefs, the values that we hold that then inform our beliefs. Uh, the beliefs we'll talk about with Jupiter, but um, the crisis in consciousness is like, what new values do I have? What new resources do I have, particularly with Venus and an Earth sign? Um, and as we get like this Pluto activity with Venus later, in the cycle um it very much has to do with resources and that can be on a mundane level um there can be currently like emotional triggers regarding oh no i'm worried that like we won't have enough resource to get through winter kind of thing uh there can be a lot of anxiety regarding uh how the system is going to provide for us as we potentially go through a difficult time like economically and socially um but then on a personal level there's going to be a lot of that readjustment of what brings me structure and stability based on this wounding. And so this kind of Chiron Venus thing is really opening up a lot of that trauma response and catalyzing a lot of that process of healing trauma that we talked about with the nodes earlier in this. Now, again, with Venus, you know, that Chiron is very difficult. Chiron acts as a catalyst, though, um, and Venus is going to go through very intense and heavy and purposeful transit, especially, like, for Venus. You know, usually Venus transits are kind of light um, as it goes retrograde with Pluto, and we have all these things coming up the next few weeks. But one other good thing that is potentially very transformative is that we have Venus trine Uranus. Uranus has been highlighted, I mean, throughout this whole year with the Saturn-Uranus square, but Uranus has been really highlighted in the past few lunations um we had like the virgo uh new moon trine uranus very very closely we had that last new moon the scorpio new moon opposite uranus very 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 closely so now we have this lunar eclipse with venus uh ruling the lunar eclipse and venus um as like this ongoing ruler for the nodes next three years and about to go into this very heavy period and moving very purposely and slowly right now we have venus trine uranus at about it's I think it's like um five minutes it's very 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 close it's very very close to exact and so this kind of amplifies this change and this uh restructuring again regarding particularly the values that we think bring us safety and that bring us sensuality and open us up to feelings in our body and in our work that allow us to feel comforted like on a very physical base core level um that opens up avenues to transform and break free from anything that we feel is limiting, clouding, or pressing down on our sense of security, pressing down on this changing sense of self that we have, pressing down on this changing uh, avenue to exploring resources and gaining resources for ourselves outside of the system. This is something that's going on for a long time, is like people realizing that they do not want to rely on the system or conform on what the system has told them is how they achieve safety um whether that has been you realize that that's not realistic and that's not possible or that it's just not what you want and it does not provide like your body and soul nourishment which is like that taurus scorpio axis that has been an ongoing theme for people and this is a very peak part of it with venus trine uranus is that like our personal values are going to be amplified with that energy especially as it leads us into this um retrograde period with venus on pluto there is this impetus to transform our values and our relationship with ourself and our relationship with the community and authority in the community and these structures of it even further.
Now, again, with Uranus, we have Mars opposing Uranus, and we felt this exact a few days ago. Um, whenever we have Uranus oppositions, I know that there's, like, this intense buzzing that I think people feel, particularly with um, Mercury and Mars opposing Uranus. Uh, I think that always feels like a really intense buzzing and, like, a very manic, heightened, uh, frenetic-type energy. Now, basically, like, the basic signification of this Mars opposite Uranus would be, like, unexpected outbursts would be, like, really um, big sudden changes, uh, possible actions that are very intense and seemingly sudden and seemingly well up from nowhere. Um, it heightens a ability to act very deeply and very quickly on instinct. Um, Uranus kind of speeds everything up and makes it a bit more chaotic and, like, boundary-breaking and earth-shattering than it already would be. And as we spoke about, Scorpio is that boundary-breaking tension already, particularly with Mars. Um, um, the thing about this, that is not necessarily bad energy, uh, and this Mars kind of action and incisiveness and uh, decision of it was definitely supported as it reached a square with Saturn, like taking actions of those kind of things was supported. But in this opposition to Uranus, it actually kind of challenges what we are being asked to do during an eclipse and what we are being asked to do uh, during with Taurus energy and embracing more of this Taurus energy, which is to just let things be a bit for a moment, like for a few days, just let things be, release things, don't try to make things happen. Uh, try to find simple comforts and simple uh, work that you need to do in your body rather than doing something very explosive and chaotic and transformative right away. Uh, the eclipse is obviously incredibly transformative, but these kind of Mars Uranus actions are not necessarily a fantastic thing to just explore and to allow to be outbursts without considering them first. Um, without considering the origin of what that impulse is coming from. Uh, when we consider the origin of what these impulses are coming from, we consider the logical, rational side of it, we do get this opportunity to resu resolve some of this Chiron energy, actually, of like reconnecting to this instinctual burst. But you have to be very careful about where it's coming from. And this kind of takes us to an aspect that we have that's kind of sneaky. We have... Um, True Lilith in Gemini. Uh, True Lilith has been flipping back and forth between Taurus and Gemini. Um, it will often conjunct Ceres, Ceres, which is at 6 degrees of Gemini. But right now it is at 12 degrees of Gemini, so it's actually making a yod with Mars and with Venus. We have Mars and Venus in sextile right now, which is like a very nice, exciting... Uh, sensual aspect uh, with Mars and Venus to be in sextile, but they are forming a yod to Lilith. And so we've talked about this before, the yod is composed of two harsh or difficult or uncomfortable aspects, which is the inconjunct um, between Lilith and Mars and between Lilith and Venus, but that can be resolved by activating that Mars-Venus sextile and the apex of the yod can kind of get this gift. And so this gift potential to us is this understanding and cutting free of rational, logical, but instinctual impulses to act on things. And so when we are purposeful and direct and committed to our instincts and to these impulses to act and to these impulses to change our values, but when we take the time, particularly with these fixed signs, when we take the time to weigh out our actions and to weigh out and really 
weigh up the new values that we're kind of bringing into our collection and see what really resonates when we take the time to be very intentional about the boundaries that we're breaking and the transformative transform transformations that we're going through with Mars. Um, we have the opportunity to release this rational, logical gift of truth. And with Lilith, it's always these deep, uh, instinctual, wild kind of energies. And that helps us reconnect a bit to this Chiron energy, to these changing values and to these changing actions. So another really important thing is while this eclipse is occurring in Scorpio and Taurus, the nodes are still in uh, Sagittarius and Gemini. And so the nodes themselves are still ruled by Jupiter and Mercury. Like we have not switched nodes yet, so we do still really need to pay attention to Jupiter and Mercury. Um, I'm really excited for Jupiter activity because it will be moving again into Pisces. So I am really looking forward to that. I think Jupiter energy will get a lot more consciously present and available to us coming up soon. But Jupiter and Mercury are both highly involved in this nodal axis right now and in this eclipse. They are both like directly in contact with this eclipse energy and directly informing it because we have Mercury and Scorpio conjunct the sun and we have and the south node of the eclipse and we have uh, Jupiter in Aquarius at 24 degrees squaring the eclipse itself. So they are both in like direct contact with these energies of the eclipse still. I mean, outside of just the nodes being ruled by them. So something I wanted to touch on uh, with these planets, with like Mercury in particular, is that all these planets have south nodes, just like the moon does. And Mercury south nodes, it with Mercury, Venus, Mars, they are really dictated by the position of the sun. Because remember, it's our perspective that these nodes are determined from. And so they change a lot as the sun changes signs uh, because they're so close to the sun. So our perspective of them is a bit like warped. Um, with Mercury right now, with where the sun is, uh, Mercury south node is in late Scorpio and its north node is actually in Sagittarius. And so just like the north and south node of the moon, the south node is kind of where that planet is drawing from and like where it came from and like what energies it's like initially instinctually rooted in and conditioned through. And that north node is kind of uh, pointing us to more of like where we need to reach for a bit with that function of Mercury's placement. And so right now, Mercury on the south node, it is very, very heightened because Mercury's south node itself is in Scorpio. So there's absolutely this intensity and the secrecy and this need for like nourishing transformative information and for nourishing and transformative conversations. But the north node itself is in Sagittarius. And so the point of all of that, the point of our Mercury and Scorpio energy right now is to open up freedom and new higher, higher philosophical personal explorations of truth for people uh, and for everybody, not just for individuals, for that to happen with our groups and our communities and on more collective levels. And so the point of this Mercury function is not to get really personally rooted in whatever dark corner you have within yourself or to get very secretive and very intense about these things. It is to do those processes and to go through that Scorpio function, but with the purpose in mind of more Sagittarius energy of more personal and inspirational truths to open up and for that to be a vessel and a vehicle for other people, not just yourself. We have this uh, kind of similar energy with Mars in that Mars, again, is really rooted in that Scorpio energy because its south node is in Scorpio, but actually um, the north node of Mars itself is in Taurus, which is really pointing again to these actions that we're taking to weigh them out in very grounded and rational ways and to reconnect to like freedom and independence, particularly with that Uranus-Mars 
tension, but in a way that brings us safety and self-definition, right? So we have to keep kind of the overall greater goal and picture in mind with these. Uh, now with Jupiter squaring the squaring the eclipse. So this eclipse, this uh, lunar eclipse is conjunct the fixed star Algol. Uh, and I do want to talk about that a bit. Fixed stars aren't something that I use for like predictive purposes very often. I more so just look at them like symbolically. Uh, they're not something like I'm specialized in, but it is really important to note. And so like people have very like malefic interpretations of this, of Algol, because Algol is considered honestly to be like the worst fixed star. It's considered to be like demon star. Um, Algol essentially is Medusa's head. So it is when Medusa's head is cut off and used as a weapon. Um, and so there's a lot there to unpack particularly because this is occurring in like a venus ruled sign i don't want to say a ton about of it a ton about it but um algal deals a lot with changes in lightness and darkness because algal is actually a few stars it's an eclipsing binary which means that it's like two stars i believe rotating around each other and over a period of a few days it goes in and out of light because these stars will eclipse each other um so that is like just like a really interesting thing to chew on for yourself regarding this energy um and i think that it amplifies this energy of an eclipse of being like embraces of extremes like you never have an in-between with an eclipse it's always one or the other extreme uh, and that is kind of emphasized with what algal the star itself does now i bring that up because i believe algal has the energy of saturn and jupiter and so obviously like these really malefic interpretations you can see how it has to do with saturn particularly because it is like the head of something being cut off and particularly because it has really patriarchal connotations you can see and then the connection to saturn you can see how it is these connections to heads of authority to heads of state to like people in charge um and to also kind of like the head of the beast type of thing um now, with, like, Medusa's myth, one thing that is really important to note is that it has a very direct, or very direct, like, reference to the energy of feminine. And I hate, like, just using the word feminine, like, to describe an energy, but it is dealing heavily with, like, women, uh, particularly in that myth, because Medusa's, like, unfairly persecuted and punished for essentially being, like, taken advantage of by Poseidon um or you know for even just like being considered beautiful by someone and then be take advantage for that she gets punished for it right and so she gets turned into this ugly monster and this destructive monster right and so this is important to pay attention to because a lot of what Medusa's myth points to on like a less direct level is an inability for us to confront and face and allow into light and again remember that eclipsing binary energy of algal the way that we have betrayed feminine or the way that we have persecuted and unfairly uh attacked feminine and i don't necessarily just mean feminine with women feminine can be nature like we talked about feminine can be women themselves feminine can be any energy within the uh feminine system that gets suppressed by the patriarchy uh, and it, like I said, it can also refer to nature, which is a big thing with this Taurus aspect. And so the reason I bring this up is that Jupiter, I've heard, is also related to this energy. And so you can see how there can be an overindulgence and an over-reliance um, on subjective things, uh, an overindulgence into 
attempting to take very progressive, expansive actions that maybe are not per like really aligned with what brings us safety and security because we have Jupiter squaring this eclipse. So the ways that we may be trying to progress action and to progress our beliefs and to progress our understanding of ourselves because we have Jupiter and Aquarius, um, the way we've been trying to like revitalize that or continue to push that forward may be out of alignment with what's actually bringing us opportunities for transformation and what's actually bringing us opportunities for safety. And so this, um, ability for anybody to overindulge in Jupiter energy to become overly hedonistic or to become overly kind of like self-absorbed and uppity about your beliefs and like enforcing about your beliefs becomes really heightened with this square and particularly with this eclipse occurring on algal the reason i mentioned algal is because the reason that we cannot face actual things to bring us progression and safety is that we can't look at it we can't look at the head of the beast so and again with that mars uranus action there's kind of a negative on both ends of like we could way overindulge to like fighting for our freedom somehow or fighting for our expansion somehow in a way that like really truly is not rooted in something and like really truly does not provide for us. Um, on the other end, we could also become like, again, this is Jupiter as well, become like over the kind of powers of and the belief systems that are enforced on us could take over a bit uh, if, like, that head is not able to be severed or, like, if it's kind of, like, happening in a more negative interpretation, the um, kind of belief systems that are enforced down to us, like, implicitly through society could really start to affect our safety and our abilities to transform. So Jupiter, while, like, it is benefic normally, like, overall, and while, like, I don't think a Jupiter square is, like, the worst thing, I think be very mindful of Jupiter energy Energy. And whenever you feel that Jupiter energy coming in, um, whenever you feel that Aquarius energy coming in, be very mindful of like, is this thing that I'm pushing forward and leaning into? Is this thing that I'm like using as my beliefs? Is this thing that I'm using to define myself? Is it rooted in my core instinctual needs and my core impulse to transform myself? Is it rooted in safety and what I physically know I am to be? So that's just really important to keep in mind with that Jupiter square. And again, that is uh, kind of adding to this re-sorting of values with Venus because Jupiter square, it squares are demanding transformation. They're demanding change and like reintegration, but particularly change. They're tense because they need something to give. And so with Jupiter, it is asking our beliefs to change, our sense of self to change. So that is adding to that whole dynamic. Um, the reason that those things need to change is to allow ourselves to progress further and to achieve more freedom and kind of... Uh, advancement in beliefs and advancement in um all these kinds of aquarian type things so keep that in mind now these are kind of the last things i want to talk about i want to talk about a few of the asteroids so we have all these pisces asteroids that are um they're doing a lot this next month or so. Uh, Pallas, Okiro, and Nessus are all in Pisces within an orb of like conjunct each other, although it's not like exact right now. Pallas just went direct a few days ago after being retrograde for a while. Okiro is stationing during this eclipse, and Nessus will go direct as well. They're all going direct. Uh, Nessus will go direct as well shortly after this eclipse. And so as we talked about like trauma earlier and like fighting for new systems of healing ourselves and for like connecting all of these patterns within our lives, 
of like where is pain stopping me from achieving safety where is it stopping me from uh connecting back to my body uh this is kind of amplified with this pisces energy because these asteroids and the centaurs trine mars they sextile uranus and they square lilith so they are involved in this um particularly with this trine to mars to Pallas, to Okiro, and to Nessus, particularly with Pallas, um, it reconnects us to, like, who is being hurt the most, and, like, who is being, uh, attacked the most, uh, in society, particularly when we're dealing with, like, who needs justice the most, so it reconnects us to this ability to fight for and to serve the people that are being hurt the most, and the groups that are being hurt the most, as, like, and that are experiencing this kind of trauma the most, and so it's, like, yes, you might be taking really, uh, impulsive actions with this Mars Uranus, but when you're doing so, you have this ability to reconnect that to like who needs the care the most in the collective so that is a really wonderful powerful thing uh with okira's energy there it brings this um ability to like intuitively kind of receive impulses of like what might occur because uh okiro is this prophet related to healing as well uh she had like prophetic visions and so it, that with palace there it really brings this amazing like intuitive ability because palace again is like this cunning wisdom that ends up being equated with a bit intuitive because palace has this ability to uh, determine all these patterns and particularly in Pisces it's really powerful because Pisces is normally such like a cloudy energy so it really makes this ability to tap into the collective a lot easier um, with Nessus it amplifies those trauma responses and the current like breaking of the cycle of trauma that we're dealing with right now for ourselves so like all that that we talked about with the nodes uh, this trying to Nessus is really bringing us in the ability to either like overindulge in just the fear of all of these deep heavy emotions that we're dealing with or on a positive end it brings us this ability to finally make the decision especially with this mars opposition to uranus to break that cycle of trauma so really pay attention to where there is tension like you're going to feel tension with scorpio energy in terms of like breaking through these boundaries but try to do it in ways that are really breaking yourself from a cycle of trauma somehow or you know if you're tapping to this palace energy how are you breaking people out of these cycles of trauma palace in pisces also does kind of reconnect us to that kind of dissension and that humbling and that servitude uh that we talked about kind of with coming back into our bodies which is weird because even though it's in pisces you normally wouldn't think that but um Palace and Pisces, Demetra George equated it to bodhisattvas, which were people that delayed this ascension in order to come serve others and in order to like stay in service to others so like they did not go and reach like nirvana in the way that um you know they were like necessarily intended to do they instead gave that up out of humbleness and out of sacrifice and out of service in order to help other people like on earth so that kind of emphasizes a lot of this uh action rooted in grounding ourselves because it has that trine to mars now, one, two other things I want to talk about really quickly is, and again, this relates to the humbling effect, we have Vesta conjunct the south node. And this is happening in Sagittarius during the eclipse. And so Vesta conjunct the south node. As we know, like the south node, like we're leaving soon. We won't have it anymore. Vesta conjunct this south node and its kind of final pass through Sagittarius is really asking us to humble and be conscious and honor the dynamics of mentorship in our spiritual uh, pursuits. Uh, Vesta 
in Sagittarius can be those people that have really defined themselves and kind of committed themselves and given themselves up to being this mentor guide. And again, this isn't necessarily in like they went and became this mentor and ascended. It's like they've committed to filling this role of the mentor and have like sacrificed things in order to do that. You know, the way like a monk would sacrifice things in order to be a monk. Um, So there's this ask for us. We're dealing with this Jupiter energy. And when we're dealing with this kind of uh, these more personal, subjective truths and fantasies and like things that we want to explore to realize that you don't know everything and that at one point or in some point you need to be a student um and so really like honor the mentors that have gotten you and guided you to where you are really honor the work that they do really connect back to humbling yourself for a bit and becoming a student again in some area of life um if you have this inkling of fear and anxiety that you don't necessarily have the best strongest most solid understanding or opinion of something which you don't somewhere in your life you don't um go back to being a student and find that mentor and really humble yourself because everybody is a student in some area of life like you are just going to be a student for forever in some area of life and that's a constant dynamic relationship um really take the time to work on that student mentor relationship again I think it's very easy to just kind of be like I know what I'm talking about I know this is what I want to do like I'm going to do that um and not take the time to kind of go back to having a mentor if you feel like there's an area in your life in which you want to continue to just progress with that Jupiter energy especially in Aquarius but again be careful with the squares um Find ways in which like you do deserve to be a mentor to someone. Find ways in which that relationship of you being a mentor, being a guide, gives back to other people and gives back to yourself for like collective freedom and expansion, not for like expansion of your ego and expansion of I'm so great and so smart and philosophical and insightful. So really be conscious of those mentors, really be conscious of that kind of a guru-student relationship right now and connect to ways that bring you back into that relationship and recenter that for a bit. I think um, there's also this energy of deep gratitude as Venus is in Capricorn. And like when Venus moved into Capricorn, I think themes of gratitude were very, like sincere gratitude were very amplified. So be very grateful and take the time to express gratitude for those relationships that you've had in your life. Finally, we have um, Juno in applying conjunction to Pholus in Capricorn. Juno just moved into Capricorn, so it's really dealing with the heaviness of these commitments and how these commitments provide you with structure and stability and a sense of authority, um, the actual kind of bones of your commitments and how they practically work out and will stand the test of time. And so with Juno conjunct Fullis, there is this energy of picking things apart. Fullis has a lot to do with dissecting things. It has a lot to do uh, with that kind of energy of cutting and digging in and like dissecting it for its parts and so there could be a lot of review of kind of these pieces and commitments to your work or to your relationships whatever commitments you have in your life it is dealing with how will those stand the test of time how will those age how have they aged how do I uh, reaffirm them how do I cut what needs to be cut um and so that is going to be revisited a lot especially as that conjunction gets closer it will be exact like in a bit uh towards the end of the month I think on the 26th it's exact. I'm not totally positive. I'd have to check again. But um, I think on the 26th it's exact. Uh, Fullest can also be this butterfly effect. Melanie Reinhardt like, refers to it as the lid comes off. Uh, so it has this kind of explosive like, ooh, 
here it is. Here's something we've suppressed for so long that's just going to come up. So that could be coming up in your commitments. Um, you know, something that maybe had been suppressed for a bit is just going to bubble over in the next few days. Uh, it can be this unintentional, like it wasn't premeditated domino type effect where like, oops, the domino fell and now it's sent off this entire chain of events. So there can kind of be kind of like events and explosions of things popping up in your commitment. So just be very mindful of that. Use it as an opportunity to dissect, like we said, to allow these commitments to weather time more or to really realize where you need to cut yourself free from these commitments. So that is all I have to say. I hope you guys have a fantastic lunar eclipse. I know this is a bit long, but like there was a lot of ground to cover, particularly with the nodes. Um, but if you have any questions, please reach out to me. Uh, you can find on my website, my website is back up again. So it's ioolea.com and it has my uh, Discord community on there. It has my Patreon, it has my Instagram, and my Twitter, uh, it has my email on there. So if you guys want to reach out, feel free to do so. Um, I hope you guys have a very restful and simple next few days with this eclipse. Really take the time to like consciously and even if it's uncomfortable, dig back into that relationship you have with your body and your needs uh, and try to do something that just reconnects you to the simple pleasures of life um, and where those simple pleasures offer you the opportunity to transform and free yourself in the ways that you want. So I hope with that said, I hope you guys have a great next few days. Um, I hope to be back up here soon. I'm going to be changing my schedule around a little bit. So we'll see when the episodes come out, hopefully on weekends instead of um, during the middle of the week, because that just works better for me. Um, yeah. So if you need anything, please let me know. I look forward to talking again. Uh, that's it. Bye.